Hey y'all, and welcome to the Feasting on Truth podcast. I'm Erin Warren, and we are in the second half of our study, By His Grace, For His Glory, an inductive study on the book of Romans. This study has been so powerful. Seeing the God who is righteous and holy and omniscient and sovereign and our creator, yet he made a way for us. He brings us life and peace and freedom through Jesus Christ. We have five weeks left, but you can still jump in. Go to feastingontruth.com slash Bible study for more information about the book. Um, and as well, you can find a link to the study book there. If you are new to Bible study or you have questions about why we study inductively, you weren't sure where to start when it comes to Bible study, I want to invite you to also check out my new book, Feasting on Truth, Savor the Life-Giving Word of God. It's a book about overcoming obstacles that hold us back when it comes to Bible study and how to study in a way that breathes life into our weary souls. You can read more about it on my website as well, feastingontruth.com books. Both those links are in the show notes for you as well. Today we close out the third section of Romans, and I'll admit I'm a little ready to get to Romans chapter 12. These three chapters are hard, but they continually remind us of the importance of pressing in and enduring through hard passages, not skipping over them. There is so much knowledge to be gleaned about the God, about who God is in this one. So here's Romans chapter 11. and welcome to our study by his grace for his glory an inductive study on the book of Romans we are in Romans 11 um, and if you have done the the catch-up week in the middle that officially makes it week 13 um, so I'm so glad y'all are here this is a really hard passage tonight and um, it is with fear and trembling that I am approaching this passage and so i definitely definitely do not want to go a second further without praying and asking the lord to come and fill us with his truth and have his spirit anoint this time together so father i just lord i thank you for your word your infallible word lord um you are so much bigger than anything that we can grasp and lord so i pray that we would not let the unknown to add separation between us and you, but Lord, that it would, um, we would allow it to draw us closer in awe and wonder of who you are. Lord, I just pray that you will um, watch over my words, Lord. May they share your truth. May your Holy Spirit come, anoint this time, um, do what only you can do in this um, in this space, Lord. I thank you for the women who are here, who are willing to press into the hard conversations, Lord. It is at the heart of feasting on truth that we have the hard conversations with the word of truth between us. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would bless our time together and that you would reveal um, yourself and who you are to us tonight. In your name I pray, amen. Um, So I always love to start with context. Um, as y'all know by now, um, I feel like each week we're playing a game of like, you know, that old game you would play in elementary school. I'm going to California. And the first person says, I'm going to California and I'm packing my shirt. And then the next person says, I'm going to California and I'm packing my shirt and a pair of shoes. And then the next person. And so that's what we're doing with context. We're going back over the entire context each week, adding chapter by chapter, because context is so important when we study scripture 
And one of the things that I have um, really been pressed as we study Romans is how critical it is that we continue coming back to the context, recentering the lens through which we are studying so that we do not misinterpret. Um, we wanna make sure that even though we are diving um, deep into one chapter each week where we're reading it multiple times and we are um, really breaking it down verse by verse that we don't lose sight of the big picture of what Paul is um, writing in this. So again, the book of Romans is written by the apostle Paul and he is writing um, to bring unity between two clashing ethnicities two, um, that are within the Roman church, both the Jews and the Gentiles. And the first four chapters, there's four sections in the book of Romans. So the first four chapters are, are section one. Paul is really laying out the foundation that we're all common in sin and common in salvation, um, that we are saved by faith alone, that um, only God is righteous, and that he kind of addresses the sins of where we were without Christ of both sides um, of, of the church, of, of both the Jews and the Gentiles. And then in chapter three, he moves toward the truth that we are all common in our salvation. And he uses Abraham to show how God is creating a spiritual family that through him, all the nations of the world would be blessed. It's no longer about the heritage of birth but by faith in Jesus alone. The second section is Romans of Romans is chapters five through eight, and it really focuses on our life because of Christ, how we have peace with God, how we were dead, but now we're alive, how we still struggle with sin, but how he sanctifies us, how we, um, we are more than conquerors. We have the Holy Spirit interceding on our behalf um, and that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. And then um, we move into the third section, um, Romans 9 through 11. And in this section, Paul is really kind of connecting the Old and New Testaments. He's showing how the Old Testament is kind of pointing us to using Old Testament to kind of explain um, the current state of Israel. Um, he's revisiting the promises and the history to show, to further show how God is creating this new family and that we are saved by faith alone. So again, coming back to that idea that it, our salvation is not based on the family we're born into, but on our profession of faith. Um, Romans 9, he really focused on how just because um, he, you were born in the line of Abraham doesn't mean you're saved. And he used multiple examples throughout the Old Testament where um, God's line of promise, the promise that led to Jesus, or the line that led to Jesus was not um, about anything someone did. Um, it was only because of God. Um, and um, so kind of showing again that it's only through faith. Then Romans 10, which we studied last week, he's explaining that God is still faithful. He's kept his promise. And he uses several Old Testament verses to remind us that the word is near to us. And that we must believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord. He says, um, instead, Israel has turned and tried to establish their own way. And that's really key as we move into chapter 11. So as I said, this is a hard and complex passage. And I'm going to go ahead and tell y'all, um, I don't know that any of us has it right. And I think that when we get to heaven someday, we're, I, I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, I think we're going to go, ah! 
that's what you meant. Okay, I got it. Um, you can probably find um, support for several different um, interpretations of this passage. Um, I am going to move forward with fear and trembling and humility and say, this is what I um, believe, but I also want to do so with the with the open-handedness to say, there's a, there's a chance I'm wrong. And it's okay if you don't agree with me, if it's okay if you see something different. Um, and I will, um, and we'll kind of get to that at the very end um, about why that's, that's okay. Um, so I want to start with my kind of summary for this passage, because I want us to have like this overview, um, that big picture lens before we move deep into verse by verse. So God is creating a multi-ethnic family where we are all common in sin and common in salvation. Um, using the context of Romans overall and the context of Romans 9 through 11, um, this is a further, a further breakdown um, of the fact that God requires faith for salvation. That is his grace. And being born Jewish or following the law is not what saves you. We cannot choose our own way and then call God unfaithful. He is faithful always, and we need to submit to his ways through faith in Jesus Christ and accept the grace he offers. So with that, let's jump in to Romans chapter 11. I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means. For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin, God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know that scripture says of Elijah how he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have demolished your altars. And I alone am left and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear down to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. So at the high level, um, Paul is, is answer. Remember, he has been going through a series of kind of anticipated objections or questions, and he's just kind of answering those. And so here he's saying, basically, is God faithful to Israel because some in the bloodline are not saved? And he says, by no means. He says, there's many who do believe them, among them me, Paul, and, and those of you who are in the church, um, the ones that he's writing to, he's saying, there are still those that believe who are saved, and it's because of their faith through Jesus Christ. Um, remember, he's connecting the Old and New Testament, and he's using the Old Testament to kind of show the faithfulness of God. And so this section, again, is about God creating this multi-ethnic family, but he points to this story of Elijah. This was after the prophets of Baal um, 
when, you know, he calls down fire and God consumes the offering, even though it's covered with um, water and Jezebel is after Elijah the next day and he's just depressed and he's angry. He's like, there's no one left. And I think um, it's kind of this argument of him saying, hey guys, like there's always been those of us who have followed God. And he's saying, I follow God, you follow God. We have moved forward in faith um, as we have been called to do. Um, so I want to dig down a little bit more into the nitty gritty. So in verse two, we have this word for new, um, and I want to define the, the Greek word for you. It comes from two, um, root words, one that means before and one that means to know. So it's properly for no, it's used in the new Testament of God pre-knowing all choices and doing so without predetermining them. Um, God is omniscient. And we are going to see this over and over and over and over and over. Um, and we already have over, especially in the last couple chapters, um, Paul pointing to the omniscience of God. But one of the things we've talked about is remember his, his omniscience is not linear. Um, it's not like God goes, okay, now I know what's going to happen next. And now I'm going to know what happens next. His omniscience is so big. He knows everything all at once. Um, time, remember he is timeless. Um, a day is like a thousand years to him or a watch in the night. Um, and a thousand years, like a day, he, um, he is beyond time. And so his omniscience, um, is more than just God knows what's going to happen. He knows everything all at once. And he knows the choices that we're going to make. He knows the places we're going to go. He knows the people we're going to talk to. Um, he knows who's going to choose him and who's going to walk in his ways. And so he's saying here that um, in verse two, he's saying, um, God has not rejected his people. There are ones who chose him. And, um, and so um, moving down to verse five, um, we have this word chosen. Um, it is the act of picking out or choosing. Um, and so he's saying, like, he's talking about the chosen it, are the people who are within the church. Um, in the same way that God had chosen a line to preserve the word, he had chosen a line to bring salvation through the world. Now, so God still continues to have a remnant, again, not chosen because of their works not chosen because of anything they did, but because it is just who God is. He is merciful and gracious and steadfast and a loyal, loving God. So I'm going to tell y'all, I think that there is something in the meaning of the word chosen that would have meant something to them in that time and in that space because of their, um, because of their culture and because of, of their upbringing that I think we may not grasp the side of heaven, truly. I think that there is probably something that we don't understand about the word chosen. My guess, my best guess is that Paul is using this word because it's familiar to them. And so what he is really um, doing here is he's kind of showing this shift um, in, um, in, in, their, in the history. Remember, Jesus was a pivot point 
where everything in the Old Testament was pointing us to Jesus, that he was going to come. And then there's this pivot point when he comes where he says, all of this has now been fulfilled in Jesus Christ and how we now have faith. Um, we are now saved by faith through him. Um, the NIV cultural background study Bible says this of this verse. He says, prophets recognize that after judgment, God would deliver the remnant, the survivors. Um, Paul speaks of those still faithful to divine truth. God chose his people because of his love because Jewish people viewed themselves as the chosen people, Paul's emph emphasis on the more narrowly chosen remnant challenges their assumptions. So Paul is challenging their assumptions of what it means to be chosen. Again, remember, this is him breaking down this pride of spiritual position, breaking down this idea that just because you're in the bloodline of Abraham doesn't mean that you are saved. You have to have faith in Jesus Christ. Um, and so I think, um, I think part of what I want to do too, is I want us to kind of remember the definition of grace. Okay. We very often will, will say unmerited favor. Um, that is what the Greek word means. Um, or we will say, um, getting what we don't deserve. You know, so we think of grace, we think of salvation. We think of, we didn't deserve to be saved yet. We are saved. But um, the Greek word carries such an even greater weight. It's this idea of God bending down to us. And so it's more than just we get salvation. It's that his grace is that we get God himself. This is one of the themes throughout um, the tabernacle. Um, and if you've done my study to dwell in our midst, um, it's a study of the tabernacle and how it points us to Jesus. And I think it was one of the first times that I truly understood what it meant, what Jesus's death meant. It didn't just mean a get out of hell free card. It didn't just mean that um, we were saved and we don't have to go to hell and we get to, we get to have covering of the blood of Jesus and be made righteous and go to heaven one day. It's that it provided the sacrifice that allows God to draw near to us and us to draw near to God. And so Jesus is good news, y'all, because we don't have to continue, continue to offer sacrifices. Um, and so Paul is saying here, he's like, listen, we get Jesus, we get God himself because of Jesus Christ. We no longer have to abide by the works of the law and hope we're doing enough and doing it right. He's saying it is by grace we have been saved. Um, we must understand this. Um, and, and this is why it's so radical, y'all, because pagan gods did not bend to humans. They never bent down to humans. It was never, you know, Zeus and all these big, you know, pagan gods. They would have never, they never came down to have um, that close-knit, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to walk with you. I want to be near you relationship. They stayed away. And we have a God who bends down to us. Um and so here's why I think, and I'm just going to, I'm just going to say this with all humility. 
But this is not a passage that says God picks and chooses who is going to be saved. Um, and here's why. It's because if you put this in the context of the greater picture of Romans, um, Paul has continually said, all can be saved. All can be saved. All can be saved. All can be saved. Um, Romans 3, 21 through 26. If you remember, this is the most um, power-packed explanation of the gospel in the entire Bible. Um, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and prophets bear witness to it. Remember that saying that um, the law and prophets, the Old Testament bears witness to Jesus. They point us to Jesus. Um, and God's righteousness has been manifested apart from the law is Jesus coming to earth. Um, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. There is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance had passed over the former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. This is why I think context is so important to better understanding. I think Paul is continuing this argument to say, we are all sinners and we are all saved only by the grace of God, which is a gift through Jesus Christ. Um, and so he continues on in verse six. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. Um, so this is why it's important for us. Grace is one of the repeated words, why we have to have this understanding of grace in order to understand a little bit more about this passage. I often hear this argument um, about there's nothing we can do to deserve his grace or um, there's nothing in me that can save myself. It's not by works. There's nothing I can do to be saved. It's only God's doing. And so I do think um, that sometimes we might twist that a little bit. So I think, you know, it's true. There is nothing I can do to deserve his grace. And um, I cannot save myself through works. However, I do believe there is something we do have to do to be saved. And um, Paul just said it in Romans 10, 9, and 10, that if you want to be saved, you need to believe in your heart. That Jesus is, and um, that God raised him from the dead, and you need to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. We have to believe and we have to confess. And if you look at those Greek verbs for believe and confess, they're active, they're not passive. That is something we must do. But I don't think this is a work. So um, this is not us doing a work that makes us deserve salvation. Does that make sense? So I think. What Paul is saying and reminding us is we have to surrender. Y'all, there is a part that we play in our salvation. And that is the surrender and the acceptance of the gift of grace that God is offering to us through Jesus. Um, the, um, and again, he's saying if it's, um, it would no longer be grace if it was based on works. And so remember the context. He's saying chosen by grace, 
He's saying not chosen by birth, but chosen because of grace. Our salvation is not because of our birth, but it is only because of the grace of God. Remember, he's breaking down the pride of spiritual position. He's saying it's not enough that you're a Jew. Um, you cannot work through the law to obtain salvation. Otherwise, it wouldn't be grace. But accepting his grace is not a work of the law. Does that make sense? Um, it gets a little squirrely. And like I said, I um, I truly believe that we will get to heaven one day and be like, oh God, that's what that meant. Um, but this is my best, um, my best, attempt at trying to better understand this. And I, this is why I've loved the context of Romans, because I think it teaches us so much that helps us better interpret scripture. Um, so y'all, we need his grace. If we didn't need his grace, we wouldn't need Jesus. And all of this would fall apart. Um, we cannot do it on our own. And in verse seven, he reiterates this point that those who are in Christ obtained grace because they listened to truth. So remember what he had just said in Romans chapter 10. Um, at the very beginning, he said they were zealous for God, but not according to knowledge. They sought their own righteousness instead of God's. Y'all, we cannot do it our own way and then call God unfaithful. We cannot try to save ourselves. We cannot try to write God into our box and then call him unfaithful. We have to submit and surrender to his ways. Um, and he is faithful always. That is a promise. And so we, if we are ever questioning whether God is faithful or unfaithful, then we need to probably check our own expectations of who God is. Um, I know for me, that's part of my testimony is that um, I didn't understand God's faithfulness. And I wanted to call him unfaithful because things weren't going my way. I had said, Lord, here's what I want to happen in my life. And it didn't happen. <laughs> Big surprise. And I wanted to call him unfaithful. But then I had to go back to his faithfulness is the fact that he keeps his promises. And that is what Paul is doing here. He's pointing back and he's saying, listen, God is still keeping his promises. God is still doing what he has always said he was going to do. All of this points us to Jesus. The Old Testament, all of it points us to the fact that we need a savior. We can't do it on our own. We need Jesus. We need the grace of God and praise him for sending Jesus on our behalf to do what we could not. In verses eight through 10, again, Paul uses some Old Testament verses. Um, we talked last week about how he had kind of, he uses similar words in multiple verses to kind of create something that is not only poetic, but also would um, help them bring to memory a little bit um, easier. So he does the same thing. Um, these two verses in Greek have similar sounding words. Um, verse nine comes from Psalm 69, which is the Psalm of the righteous sufferer. And what I found so fascinating is um, this is a messianic um, prophecy. Many believe that it is pointing to Jesus being the righteous sufferer. And um, these verses that Paul quotes here, um, read in context, are the verses spoken to the enemy of the righteous sufferer. And so 
um, the enemy of Christ. And so the key idea in these verses is that Israel has refused to listen to God's truth and they refused to submit to it. They hardened their hearts and that is their legacy. Um, we see it in Psalm 95. We see it in, in Hebrews chapter three. Um, we talked about that hardening back in Romans um, nine, where we talked about Pharaoh, about how he hardened his own heart when God removes that covering, when left to our own devices, um, that we would be hardened. Um, and so Paul continues. So I ask, this is verse 11, did they stumble in order that they might fall, fail, fall? By no means, rather through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles, so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, or if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? So I'm going to admit it's confusing. Um, I don't fully understand um, the idea of the Jews being cut off so that the Gentiles can be brought in. Um, Romans 10, 19, um, talks about how, um, the Israelites provoked God's jealousy. And we talked about this last week. So God is going to provoke theirs. Um, jealous was one of your words that we defined this week. Um, and I want, um, us to always remember, and this is something I say frequently about, um, God's jealousy, God's jealousy is that he knows that our very best lies in full surrender to him. He knows that our best life, everything that we need is only found in him. And he is jealous for us when we go after other gods, when we go after other things to satisfy us, he is jealous for us. And so um, he is in some mystery that I cannot fully understand. He is um, making Israel jealous by giving the Gentiles what they long for. Um, Hosea 14 was one of our cross-references this week too. Um, and this is a passage pleading with Israel to return to the Lord. And it ends with this verse, verse nine, whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let them, uh, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right and the upright walk in them, but the transgressors stumble in them. The Lord's ways are right. And when we are wise, when we are discerning, when we submit to his ways, when we return to the Lord, we walk upright in his ways. But if we do not submit, his ways will trip us up. And that's what's happening with Israel. Um, his ways are tripping them up because they are not um, submitting to his ways. So Paul has been addressing the Jewish side of the church, and now we're going to see him kind of shift, and he's going to speak directly to the Gentiles, picking up in verse 13. He says, now I am speaking to you Gentiles, inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous. And thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so the whole lump is holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, 
do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root who supports you. Then you will say branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God, severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in for God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut from what is by nature, a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these natural branches be grafted back into their own olive tree? Okay. So I know that was a lot, but I love this picture. Um, I love um, uh, horticulture <laughs> pictures in scripture, the plants, and um, there's so much of, that God uses of these of nature to kind of um, help us better explain. So one of the questions in your homework, one of the things I challenged all to do this week was to look up grafting olive trees on the internet um, to kind of understand the process a little bit more. So the grafting process is by which um, a natural branch is broken off. And in that spot, a branch from another tree, and very often with olives, it was a cultivated tree or one that was planted like in an orchard that was um, like, think like in a farm versus a wild olive tree. And so it's a wild olive branch that is broken off. And it's put where the other branch was broken off and how the two fuse and become part of the same tree. So does this sound familiar? <laughs> it is um, the reasons why you would graft an olive tree is because some of the plants have strong roots, but poor fruit. Some of the trees may have poor roots, but strong fruit. And so grafting them together allows the strong fruit to grow on a tree with strong roots. Um, the benefits is that it increases the size of the olives. It increases the yield of the fruit. Um, it increases the disease resistance of the tree and it helps the tree to survive. Y'all, do you hear the parallels in that process? to what God is doing here in his new multi-ethnic family that he is creating. Um, and, and Paul says here, he says, listen, you Gentiles don't resent the strong roots that you have been grafted onto. Um, the olive tree was a symbol um, in um, very often um, the Jewish um, family of God was, was um, portrayed as a tree. The roots were the patriarchs. The roots were their strong roots. We already seen this throughout Romans. Remember when he said, what, what advantage is there to being a Jew? Well, they carried along the oracles of God. They have been the ones that God has been walking with. They have deep, solid roots. And the Gentiles who are new in their faith, who do not fully understand. And we talked about this last week too, about 
um, how the Jews needed to recognize and understand that the New Testament was the fulfillment of the Old Testament, but also how we need to understand that the New Testament um, is not king and we don't throw away the Old Testament, how the Old Testament is valuable and it helps us better understand the New Testament. So the same thing here, the roots are, he says, don't despise roots. Um, but the, he says, I am grafting you in because um, together, together, we produce more fruit. Together, we are better able to resist the enemy. Together, we have a better hope for the remnant to continue to grow so that the name of Jesus is going out further and further and further, that our fruit is yielding wider and bigger. This is the most beautiful picture of the church. This is our purpose. Paul is encouraging the Gentile believers. He says, don't be resentful to the root. Um, and he's saying, be humble. The mystery of those who would not believe being broken off. Um, and so I love, um, I have I have mentioned several weeks now, the Bible Project's video on the book of Romans. Um, I love the way they describe these three chapters. And, um, and, and what Paul has said here is, um, don't be proud being like, oh, they got broken off so I could be grafted in. So now I'm in and they're out. He's saying, no, they were broken off because they're unbelief. Like they chose to not submit to God's ways. Um, and so, He's saying, again, breaking down the pride of spiritual position among the Gentiles and saying, don't come in here and try to throw away everything that I have been doing for thousands of years um, through the Israelites. Um, that is super important, too. He's saying, stand fast through faith um, and remember that we are better together. We make a better, stronger family. We have unity even in our diversity. Um, and he ends with such faith that those who have been cut off, that the Israelites who did not believe can come to faith in Jesus and be grafted back in again, such hope. Um, and then Paul continues expressing faith that somehow Israel one, will one day see the fullness of their salvation. Um, verse 25, lest you be wise in your own sight. I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all of Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As regards to the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. As regards to election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers, for the gifts and the calling of God are, are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but have now received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they may also now receive mercy. For God is consigned to all disobedience that he may have mercy on all." Um, the NIV Cultural Background Study Bible says a significant line of Jewish tradition emphasizes the future salvation of all of Israel. While this meant Israel as a whole and not every individual Israelite, only the most notorious sinners were excluded. 
Paul supports his case with Isaiah 59, 20 through 21, a context also mentioning the gift of the spirit. And so this is this mystery where Paul says that he believes with faith that one day all of Israel will come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Um, and so he doesn't explain any further. Um, he doesn't give us any more details, um, but he is stating faith that he believes one day Israel will be saved. Um, he quotes the Isaiah 59 passage. Um, in your homework, you also looked up Ezekiel 36, um, which speaks to this as well. Um, but I think what Paul wants us to remember too is verse 32, that all are disobedient to God so that all, that he may have mercy on us all. Common in sin, common in salvation. Um, and like I said, y'all, I could be wrong. There could be things in here that you go, I don't know about that. And that's okay. That is the beauty of, of God. And I think that this is why I just love the way Paul closes this section. Um, and I talk about it in my book, Feasting on Truth, that, that, um, that he is just so much bigger. And I want us to remember um, who he is. I want us to see who God is in this passage. Um, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, or who has given him a gift that he might be repaid from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Paul ends with this doxology, um, reminding us of the bigness of God, that there is mystery here that we do not fully understand. And I, we need to be okay with a little bit of mystery. Um, I've said this quote before, and I said, I would say it again. And here it is. Y'all, I don't want a God I can fully grasp. That seems far too small a God. What Satan wants to do is to use the unknown and the unsearchable ways of God to cause us to pull back, to create division, to say, if I don't know you, then I can't trust you. But we need to allow the bigness and the greatness of who God is to draw us closer because we don't want a God we can fully grasp. We need a God that we will spend the rest of our lives searching and continuing to learn about, ever increasing in the knowledge of him. Um, we have a great, big Yahweh sovereign God. Y'all, who can understand how fully who he is? God doesn't need us to give him advice, although I still find myself constantly going, God, wouldn't it be great if you did this instead? Like, he doesn't need advice from us. Um, there is nothing that we can do for God that he would then owe us something. Y'all, he is so much bigger. Um, I saw this quote on Instagram today, um, this clip of John Piper from the Gospel Coalition Conference from his 2022 keynote. I wanted to read it to you in closing. He's talking about the wilderness and the Israelites in the wilderness and um, what God had given them. And he says this, 
the undeserved blessing of the water from the rock, the undeserved blessing of manna from heaven, the undeserved blessing of deliverance at the Red Sea, the undeserved blessing of guidance by the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire, the undeserved blessing of Moses's leadership. All of it was owing to the cross of Christ. Is it right then to say that the rock was Christ, the manna was Christ, the deliverance was Christ, the pillars of fire and cloud were Christ? God's guilty people would enjoy no blessing apart from Christ and what he did 1400 years later. And so it is for you and me who are in Christ, who despair of your sinful self and know. God owes you nothing. God owes us nothing. We do not deserve anything that he gives us. And yet he graciously bends to us. He gives us his grace. He gave us Jesus so that by his blood, we can experience closeness and an intimate relationship with the creator of the universe, the one who is sovereign, who knows all things at all times, the one who is beyond our comprehension, longs to have relationship with you and with me. And so let's not forget his bigness, his sovereignty, his unsearchable ways, his steadfast love, his great kindness to us, his omniscience, his mighty, he is all powerful. He is the creator and yet he is jealous for us. He knows that our very best lies in full surrender to him. So let's press in. Let's push through these hard passages that leave us sometimes scratching our head and wondering at the, at the mystery And let's trust him. Let's not let Satan tell us that because he's unsearchable, he's not trustworthy. He is a true, trustworthy God. And when we have questions, let's bring them to him. Let's gather in community around the word and have these hard conversations with the word of truth between us. Let's keep moving forward, even in hard, um, hard passages, in hard circumstances, in hard places in life, let us remember that he is worth pursuing every day because he is the only one who can satisfy what we need. Let's put our faith in him and press on. That brings us to the end of the third section of the book of Romans. And next week, we are going to move into the final section, which is now what? What do we do? Knowing that he is righteous, knowing that we are sinful, knowing that it is only through faith alone that we are able to experience the salvation that we have. How do we then live? Um, I'm so looking forward to you diving in with you guys next week. Let's pray. God, let us, let us not forget how big you are. 
Lord, it is when I get a glimpse of you and I realize how small I really am and how big you truly are that I just hit my knees in awe and wonder and worship. Lord, that you would allow us to be part of your family, that you would bring us into the fold, that you would graft us in, Lord. God, let us not um, give in to pride of spiritual position, but Lord, that we would continue to be humble students, Lord, who are teachable, who seek you, and who long um, to be to be near their Abba Father. God, we are so thankful for you, so um, in awe of who you are. As we continue through this final section of Romans, Lord, continue to meet us in the pages of your word. Continue to show us who you are and let us not forget that um, as we go out throughout our week. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. so many incredible characteristics of God in this passage this week. Seeing the bigness of God reminds me of just how small I am, and I'm in awe that this great big God would desire to dwell in my midst, to bend down to me. One of my favorite passages in Isaiah 30 talks about how when we see our teacher, we will want to throw off our idols. It's one of my favorite chapters in my book um, that I just released, Feasting on Truth savor the life-giving word of God. Um, When we see him, our natural reaction should be to throw off our idols. And seeing the bigness of him in this passage um, makes me want to throw off the things that are not of God. I want to challenge us that we respond to God in that way, in awestruck wonder, in worship, in thanksgiving, and in sanctification. Let's give him honor even when we do not fully understand. I'm going to close with Isaiah 55, 6-9. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way. Let the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher.